Hi, I'm Marty. And I'm Lizzie. Welcome to Sex and Consent, a feminist podcast on sex, consent and tackling patriarchy with your friends. We're interrupting our storytelling mini-series to bring you an episode today on Roe vs Wade. That's right. We're recording this special episode one week from when the US Supreme Court overturned the 50-year-old constitutional protection of abortion rights in the US, known as Roe vs Wade, bringing an end to the federal right to an abortion. So, what does this mean for the US and how does this landmark decision affect people who want to have an abortion in states where abortion is now illegal? What's behind the judgment and are abortion rights well protected here in Australia? We'll explore some of these questions in the episode. Let's get into it. Hi everyone, before we start I just want to give a content warning. In the process of talking about banning and restricting abortion, we do make mention of quite a lot of other related and sensitive topics, including suicide, death and other negative impacts of restricting and banning abortion. We talk about domestic abuse and sexual violence. We also talk about gun violence and massacres that occur in schools in the USA. So please take care of yourself however you need to while listening, including switching off or taking a break. And if you need to talk to someone, we encourage you to reach out to your support network or you can always call 1-800-RESPECT. Hi everyone, this is Lizzie with a quick correction on this episode. Somewhere in the first half, Marty and I are talking about the appointment of judges to the US Supreme Court. I mentioned that a lot of conservatives voted for Trump because he promised to appoint conservative judges to the US Supreme Court. I go on to say, quote, Joe Biden did the same thing. Now, what I meant by this is that Joe Biden promised to appoint progressive judges to the US Supreme Court, not conservatives. Thanks for letting me make that correction. Now into the episode. Hi, Lizzie. Hi. Hi. (laughs) Fancy seeing you here. (laughs) Hello. Hello. So here we are to have a somewhat impromptu uh, episode to Mm. discuss these big changes that have been happening in the last week in the US and also to kind of contextualise that with what it means here in Australia or just to have a kind of look at the landscape of abortion healthcare here in Australia. Absolutely. Probably a lot of listeners are as equally as horrified as we are Mm. um, learning about what the overturning of Roe versus Wade means in the mm-hmm. US. Um, of course, there are some states who, who are still going to be offering um, abortion and we'll get into that, but largely it's a fucked up situation um, that, um, yeah, is going to impact a lot of people in the US. And I think, as you've said, Maris, it's interesting to look at, all right, well, what's happening here in Australia? Um, from a legal perspective, um, Not that I have the legal perspective, but for (laughs) us to look at what is happening here legally and what those protections are. Yeah, I mean, and while Liz and I aren't experts on the healthcare system or the legal system for that matter, we're really passionate about everybody having equal and free access to abortion. And we're also obviously coming at this topic from a feminist perspective and tying it back to some of the themes that we usually discuss on this podcast. Mm. we're, We're going on this journey of of learning as well um, and exploring and like really keen to to break it down from our perspective with all of you. Exactly. I also want to say um, that Mads and I, um, neither of us have lived experience of um, Mm. abortion. Um, So yeah, just want to contextualize that as well. But we know lots of people who have. um, And then of course, um, both being feminists and having been educated through feminism. Mm. um, Yeah, we care very deeply about about this about this right and about access to to abortion um i want to start by acknowledging that i'm recording today on gumbangi country i want to acknowledge the elders of this beautiful country um, past present and emerging and offer my deep respects to first nations people across this country and any first nations listeners here today Thanks, Lizzie. And likewise, I want to acknowledge the country that I'm recording on, which is Bunjalung country and specifically the land of the Widjibal Wiable people. And yeah, offer my respects to Aboriginal people from the area that I live and across so-called Australia more broadly. Mm. And also in the spirit of the topic to acknowledge that First Nations women are among some of the most impacted by a lack of abortion 
options and quality care for abortion in so-called Australia. So I just wanted to yeah, acknowledge that as well, because when we're talking about access to abortion, we're also really talking about like the way that different systems of oppression limit some people more than others. Mm. Yep. Beautiful. So our first point of discussion. Yeah. Lead it, Maris. Let's go. <laughs> was just to uh, give a little bit of a an outline of what has actually gone on here. So like what's happened, what does it mean? Um, so basically, for those of you who may not already know, Roe vs. Wade is a landmark decision from the courts in, in the US in 1973, which led to the Supreme Court enshrining women's rights to abortion and bodily autonomy in the actual federal constitution. And so basically what that means is that at the time, any laws state by state that criminalised or uh, made abortion illegal, they were no longer able to be implemented because of this constitutional right to abortion and bodily autonomy. Mm -hmm. So that's been allowing people who need abortions, people who have uteruses in states that would otherwise ban or restrict abortions, it's allowed them to get abortions. And, you know, caveat, a lot of those states still make it hard mm. um, with different kind of other policies, legislation, um, massive lacks of funding, etc. But ultimately, it has been a constitutional right. So with the overturning of Roe vs Wade, basically what's happened is that I think it's 26 states who are likely to ban or restrict abortion. But of those 26, there are 13 that already have laws in place. And I, I think I'm getting this right where it's like from back then. So from when it was kind of enshrined in constitution, those people like already had laws that had been decided on within that state that now that Roe vs Wade is no longer protecting that right to abortion, those laws can be triggered and kick back in. And so basically the right is overthrown kind of like immediately in those 13 states. And that, and on that, I was going to just add that um, many abortion clinics that were in those states closed the very day that mm. Roe was overruled. Yeah. A quote from an article that I read that I thought was a good summary of this says... While all trigger bans have the same intent on banning abortion, their implementation mechanisms, timelines, and other details differ. Also, most trigger bans include very limited exceptions, but those are difficult, if not impossible, for people seeking abortion to qualify for in real life mm. and mainly serve to make a draconian policy seem slightly less cruel. And what this is kind of referring to is it's like, oh, but if you were raped, you know, or if it was a, an abortion that you need because of incest, then you're allowed to get one. And this is something that I've been talking about with like colleagues and whatnot a lot this week is like, but what rape that's proved in a court of law? Mm. Like mm -hmm. uh, uh, already Which are something hardly <sighs> fucking convicted and uh, so proven such in the court low of law. conviction rates absolutely also how long that takes to go to trial like <laughs> yeah like what it's like three three four years in, yeah, it in can process be years. you'd have a toddler by then and and it's like you know that's if the police take you seriously enough when you go in to actually charge him you know there's such i mean and it's all just so fraught like not everybody wants to or is able to depending on who your abuser is etc um, to go to the police and make those kind of charges. So I think that, that that sentence of like, it's difficult, if not impossible, for people seeking abortion to actually qualify for the exceptions that so many states are like, oh, but we have these exceptions, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, 16 states in the US and also the District of Columbia um, have laws that protect the right to abortion. So that's how many states will uh, make sure that abortion is still accessible. But that's not very many. Mm. No way. And so, you know, I think there's a lot of people kind of like, how did this happen? And wow, I'm so, so surprised by this. And of course it is. A, it is a surprise in that, like that it's actually happened. Mm. Um, but what I've been also seeing when I read intersectional feminist perspectives on this is that while it may seem like a shock, this did not happen overnight. Like the US conservative Republican Party has been essentially priming um, the political environment for this to happen mm. for the past 50 years to create this hellscape that is now um, existing in the US. And I mean, you know, you only have to look at all the other, you know, homophobic, transphobic, discriminatory bills that are put forward on a regular basis 
in the US political landscape to see that this is not some sudden attack on human rights. Mm. You know, it's just this consistent attack on progressive rights that have been painstakingly achieved by women, trans people and gender non-conforming people over time. Yeah. The USA is a country built on oppression, slavery, um, stolen land, pedestaling of wealth, white supremacy, patriarchy, etc. Like it's kind of... Sounds like Australia. <laughs> and uh, also just on that, something that I read that adds to that sort of backstory is that, you know, for the past 15 years in particular, Roe versus Wade has been under consistent attack um, mm. through different measures. So that might be, you know, the federal, um, rather the, the banning of federal federal funding for abortion, mm -hmm. um, different state laws that enforce mandatory counselling for people who want to have yes. an abortion. Um, and it's which often is, by Christian groups uh, yeah, and they totally. really d discourage you apparently. Absolutely, which is um, completely just so insidious. Unethical. And, and um, yeah, just really strict licensing requirements as well mm -hmm. for abortion clinics, which make it, you know, kind of near impossible. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's a bit of that background as well. Yeah, totally. And I think it's also a bit of shock when people are thinking about the fact that it's no longer a conservative Republican government and it's actually the Democrats that are in government and there's that kind of confusion around how is this happening when, you know, Trump's no longer leading the country when in reality, it, you know, the Supreme Court sits entirely separately to whichever government is in at the time and I don't know what channels the Democrats have to challenge this. I don't know enough about US politics, but I know that since um, Trump inserted Amy Coney Barrett onto the Supreme Court, it kind of tipped the scales to a more conservative panel and it will therefore probably take for more progressive people to be appointed onto the Supreme Court to tip them back. Of course. And similarly here, um, again, n like not a legal expert talking here, there's definitely other podcasts you could go to yeah. for that. <laughs> but the same, the same way here in Australia that the High Court um, operates separate to government, mm. which is how, how, how it should mm. be. Um, mm. And therefore, political ideology should not influence um, decisions in the High Court here in Australia. Mm -hmm. But it operates, yes. it operates differently in the US, whereby people are appointed to uh, the Supreme Court based on ideology. So that's wow. why, um, yeah, that's why, for instance, Donald Trump put Amy Coney Barrett um, because she's conservative. Yeah. Um, and in the US, they actually, um, like I just said, they do appoint judges based on their ideology. So they actually purposely enmesh church and state, do they? I thought it was still like unethical practice or consider Well, that. I don't know if it's necessarily church and state, but ideology and mm. state. So basically a lot okay. of people in the US voted for Donald Trump because he promised to put more um, conservative judges on the Supreme, Court, the Supreme Court. And Joe Biden did the same thing um, and people voted him for, for that. Um, and this, wow. by the way, is information that I've gained from an article in The Conversation that I will share in oh, the great. show notes as well. Yes, and I can also share... I've read about a thousand articles this week, so I'm not always sure where was all of the information's <laughs> gone from, but those that I do know, we will share. I will share them. Um, and okay, so just then a quick second point that we'll go into more of the episode, but who does this ban affect and who is like going to be most impacted or like worse off? And no surprises, the clear kind of answer is people who are low SES or like financially... Um, disadvantaged mm. people of color people who are already marginalized basically so like banning restricting abortion means that these people will be compromised when it comes to traveling over to another state mm. um asking for time off work if they're especially like you know it's already such bad living conditions in the states regarding um pay rates and things like that so mm. like even just being able to afford to take time off work um, paying for accommodation when you get to another state that you might need to stay at to get this termination it adds a lot of costs on top of the procedure itself. And as we heard a moment ago around like how many states are actually going to ban and restrict abortion as opposed to how many are going to keep it legal, there's more that will ban and restrict. And so think about like the wait times um, oh and actually God. the fact that they won't be able to 
they won't be able to keep up with the demand. There's actually no possible way unless so many more abortion clinics get open in those other states. Mm. There's no way that they'll be able to keep up with the demand of the people from all those like, you know, 13 to 26 states that will ban and restrict in various degrees that they will need. And so, yeah, it's just going to mean so much more Pressure. danger yeah. Um, yeah, and unsafety and unsafe procedures. People will die. People will suicide like this is uh, like going to mean that there are there are lives very significantly impacted and not just from necessarily having to carry a baby and birth a baby and have a child that you didn't want to have absolutely um that's definitely something that i've heard um or rather read a lot from um critics of the overturning that Mm -hmm. lives are at stake this is really real i want to add um as well to what you were just saying maris around who is impacted by this um so these are stats that i've um learned from another article that i will also share um in the show notes um by senior research fellow Erica Miller and associate professor Barbara Baird. Um, They wrote that three quarters of abortion seekers in the US are living in poverty. Mm. I think that's an incredible stat. Um, Like, it's so horrifying. Black women get abortions at nearly three times the rate of white women. Mm. Um, And a higher proportion of black women live in the States that will restrict or criminalise abortion. And... Mm. You know, I think there's something to be said around that because um, in terms of representation of this movement and I think sometimes, like particularly on the conservative end of the spectrum, it, it it's often dominated by white women, as mm. we know. Um, Absolutely. And yet it's, it, yeah, it's obviously disproportionately affects black women and there's incredible um, black and you know, women of colour leading the pro-choice movement mm-hmm. as well. Um, but, yeah, I just I, I just find that um, that particular statistic around how much it, it um, disproportionately affects that cohort and the population, I just think, yeah. And as you're saying that, I'm like, so wealthy people, obviously, from anti-choice states or like abor- states that ban abortion, they'll still be able to access abortion because money means that they can more easily get transport, get time, like take time off work without being so concerned about losing pay, afford accommodation when they're there, all of those things, mm. right? So, okay, so I'm just like contextualizing that kind of like fact in with what you just said and about how the majority of the people making the decisions are like, as you say, are kind of like, you know, a lot of like vast majority white people, mm. white wealthy people, white wealthy conservatives, men and women, but like 70 something percent of people that vote in favor of this are men, but still women as well. Um, mm. It's just that thing of like, like the people who are preventing, who are saying like, we don't, we don't want people to be able to get abortion. It actually has n- it's got no impact on them. Mm. No, absolutely. It's like the people, and I mean, that's it goes for a lot of different laws, right? The, the legislators mm. are actually never going to f- bear the brunt of this mm-hmm. legislation. Exactly. Um, and it just, yeah, disproportionately a- a- affects people over whom they have a lot more privilege. So, yep. yeah. Okay, and so that brings us to... The question of what is the state of abortion rights or access to abortion in Australia? So I have looked into this this week and I knew a little bit already because I actually remember a couple of years ago when New South Wales was voting on whether to decriminalise abortion. That was back in 2019. So it's not that long ago. And I really remember being really excited about the fact that they had decriminalised abortion. Mm-hmm. Um, so... The fact that I remember that, it's like two or two to three years ago, it shows it's pretty recent that um, abortion's moving from being uh, regulated by the criminal code in most states in Australia. So WA is still criminalised. So it's still regulated by criminal code over in WA. South Australia also is quite recent to decriminalise. Mm-hmm. The other thing to note is that we are not in Australia protected at a constitutional level. It is state by state. So we don't actually have a constitutional right to abortion. Mm-hmm. So it's very much, um, yeah, just up to the, the state legislators. And, like, if you think about currently we've got um, Dominic Berardet, is that his name? Yeah. 
So considering that at the moment we've got someone like Dominic Perrottet, who I'm pretty sure is quite Catholic. Yeah, he's Catholic. Lots and, of kids. you know, he voted against decriminalisation in New South Wales mm. in 2019. So even though the bill was passed, um, those reforms still making their way through the public health system. And I think it's also like, and, and maybe I'm getting a little bit off track here, but, um, you know, just because Dominic Perrottet Perite, fuck, mm. I should know that. <laughs> Dom, just because Dom's Catholic mm. um, doesn't necessarily mean, like, I feel like in Australia, somebody can absolutely correct me on this because somebody's more learned. Many people are more learned on this learned topic than I am. <laughs> but um, it's like, it, it seems like the issue of abortion is not as politicised here mm, in Australia. No, and um, it's recognised as, um, I'm not saying, you know, it's perfectly protected. I have a lot to learn here. But, um, yeah, it's, it's recognised as like a, within our health care rights. Yes. But do you know what I'm just thinking as you're saying that, Liz? I yeah. think that what, what someone like, say, a per, like Dominic Perrottet, for example, um, I mean, and hey, I could be just roasting him for no reason. I don't know, but I'm pretty sure I have heard he's pretty anti-abortion. Mm. Um, uh, it's actually not that he he may not attempt to to politicise his own personal religious beliefs or, or change the laws. I don't know, but what he would probably do is be less likely to mm. fund abortion mm. as healthcare in the way that someone with different beliefs may like it depends what each person's priority is right yeah um, and how, as, yeah and how he would vote on something i guess absolutely yeah. and 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 something else so so i listened to it was abc's life matters this week and there was a guest on that show philip goldstone and he's from mary stopes he was saying that funding is one of the biggest things that differentiates our access to abortion state by state here in australia mm. so whilst most state most states have um decriminalized because the funding is so very so wildly it can mean that like so um states like i think it was northern territory and south australia they are mostly funded by public the public system. So you can pretty much just get an abortion in the public health system and I don't know whether it costs at all or, or it'd, be, it'd be really quite subsidised. Whereas in a state like New South Wales, it's actually very unsubsidised and yes. like so that kind of ties into like okay so who's yes. this who's leading the state kind of thing what yeah. what party is party is in power and New South Wales the average cost is around $600 for an abortion yeah, and crazy. it's I think it ranges depending where you are and whatnot somewhere from 300 to 700 but like an average of 600 oh <sighs> so like it just it, I think it just shows how like even if it's in a more indirect way yeah 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 so something else that was on that same podcast the life matters podcast was another guest Shelley Macleff from Monash Uni who researches on abortion in Australia she pointed out that when you consider other costs, like paying for GP appointments, um, and in some states you actually have to see a specialist, an obstetrician or gyno, and if, particularly if it's past, like, say, 20 weeks or something like that, you have to – oftentimes you actually need the agreement of a panel of medical professionals or at least two medical prof professionals, mm. um, one being an obstetrician or gyno. So th that's expensive as well. Then any pain relief you might need, again, travel, etc out-of-pocket expenses, they really stuck up. So, like, whilst in Australia technically you can access abortion – there are actually things that stop people, again, people who are financially disadvantaged, people who live really, really far away from somewhere where an abortion is actually able to be provided. Those costs stack up and do actually make it inaccessible for some people and hard to access for other people. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I found extremely interesting from this podcast is that stigma continues to be like the root cause that prevents a lot of people who need abortions in Australia from getting that abortion or getting it easily or getting it with the quality of care that they deserve when trying to access such healthcare. Mm. So this plays out in different ways, but the main way seems to be that there just like aren't as many GPs or medical practices that are willing to assist people who need abortions based on stigma and that comes from it being so recently decriminalized like a lot of people still think of it as like something wrong something bad yeah so like this could look like you know someone calling up to a clinic and a receptionist just saying we don't do that here which is like so shaming as well mm. and then just like they're not being a follow-on an option like oh well we'll refer you to somebody else or getting an appointment to a gp who then is like 
a conscientious objector. So we do have laws in Australia that allow people to conscientiously object. That's allowed, but you are supposed to state it. And in some states, you're also then supposed to pro- like provide the details of someone who isn't a conscientious objector so that that person can get the care they need elsewhere. But apparently, because so many people don't know their rights in relation to this, and like, you know, it's kind of almost like a, yeah, that need to know basis, like you wouldn't know this until you are in the situation so a lot of people don't know so then if they just go to someone that like makes you feel like a piece of shit for doing for for even asking about it it's so off-putting and it's like you know does that actually then prevent you from trying somewhere else does it set the tone for yeah you making Mm -hmm. that decision so just want to clarify so you're saying that um doctors are supposed to state that they are conscious conscientious objectors but obviously a lot of doctors aren't so there's just that very tacit disapproval coming through without them being transparent that they are personally a conscientious objector yes that's how i believe it to be um occurring at least in some places yeah um or at least widely enough that that's what was spoken about on this podcast and the other thing is in australia we actually have two types of termination like available to people the one we're most familiar with is a surgical abortion where you go to the clinic and you get anesthetized and you have the procedure. The other version of termination is called a medical termination and that's been available since 2012 technically but more more um, widely available since 2015, right? And that is where you take, I think it's some pills, um, you get them prescribed, you go home, so comfort of your own home as such, take the pills and it's like inducing a miscarriage. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying it's in any way pleasant or whatever, but at least you could do it from your own home. And it means that, say, for example, rurally, if you do not have a clinic that provides a surgical abortion nearby, you could technically do this medical abortion at your home. However, according to Philip Goldstone, less than 10% of GPs in Australia have actually adopted the option of prescribing patients a medical abortion. Wow, And he said that there's like anecdotal evidence of GPs who want to offer this service, but have been discouraged whether by other GPs in the practice or by other staff just working in the practice. So like, even if you're in a rural area and there's one GP that's kind of like, I think we should do this. It can actually be the stigma um, amongst others and the beliefs of others can prevent that person from doing it because they'll kind of be like the outcast in the the practice. In the practice. Yeah. Yeah. That's really not many doctors. It's not many. Less than 10% of doctors in Australia. And apparently, he was calling it like um, the postcode lottery. So it's like obviously some places, probably in more like in cities and whatnot, if you get pregnant, you can get an abortion relatively easily. Whereas like in many postcodes in Australia, that's not the case. And there's large swathes of the country that are referred to as an abortion desert. Mm. Uh, and it's that, you know, obviously that greatly affects people living, obviously, rurally, regionally, remotely, First Nations women who live rurally, regionally, remotely, women with disabilities who live there and then can't travel as easily for mobility reasons. Um, and again, financially disadvantaged people um, who yeah, can't travel to cities or bigger regional centres. So that whole thing of like that we could all have access to the medical abortion option but mm. that only 10% of doctors offer really just speaks to the way that stigma is like continuing to prevent people who need abortions from getting that care that they need. Um, however, the good news is that as of the 7th of July, South Australia joins, which means that all states will allow people to get that prescription via telehealth. Wow. As far as I, as far as I am aware. And we will also provide some links to these options in the show notes or on our Instagram after this because I think it's really good for people to be aware of what's available and their rights. And that must be linked in some ways to, um, you know, the this sort of booming, I wouldn't call it the advent because um, obviously telehealth has actually been around for quite some time, but it's now so normalised because of COVID. COVID. Totally. And um, I guess that's got to be one of the positives that came out of that i just wanted to add as well um jumping back over to the u.s on medical abortion pills Mm. so you know there are pregnant people living in states that are already hostile to to abortion Mm. rights and so they can access um you know over the phone or online an abortion Mm. pill and and you know in their own home um have an abortion that way but referring back to that um, article from the conversation that I was citing before, they've written that medical abortion is 
actually only recommended for um, up to the 12th week of pregnancy Mm. and that women should optimally, and I think this just goes straight to the heart of pro-choice, why why this movement is called Mm pro-choice, women should ideally have the choice of um, a, a surgical or a medical abortion. So if, yeah, if you're having the choice of a sur- surgical abortion removed, how much choice do you have really? And if you're taking, um, as some people would be forced to do, taking a medical, uh, rather having an, a medical abortion after the 12 week mark, um, mm. yeah, that's, that's, that's a, that's a health issue. So mm, yeah, okay. that's interesting. Yeah. And so to summarize, you know, on what the state of abortion law is, is here in Australia and how it compares to the US. Obviously, we do not have, as you said, Liz, like the same politicisation of abortion in Australia as the US does. But I think it's that thing of like, like with, you know, domestic abuse, for example, you don't have to always be getting assaulted to live in fear. And it's like, Mm. when we see men in power making decisions about people to have uteruses bodies in other countries, and especially a country like the US that basically Australia, like, kisses off its ass um (laughs) up inside (laughs) um as like when we see men in power in those countries attacking bodily autonomy so effectively it just makes you think about um how nothing is certain (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know really makes you think about agency and I mean, we do this a little bit on the podcast and hey, is it helpful? I don't know. Sometimes it's like comparing apples and oranges, but can we just imagine for a moment Mm. that a majority um, female uh, representatives in government or judiciary decided Mm. that men above the age of Mm. 28 all had to have irreversible vasectomies? I don't know if this is not an entirely um, parallel example, but what I'm trying to point out here Mm. is the perverseness of people who cannot get a vasectomy deciding whether men um, can and cannot or when they would have to have one. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, as I said before, throughout history and, and today, there are so many laws that are written and enacted by people Mm -hmm. who will never bear the brunt of Mm -hmm. of their impact um abortion sits very very solidly within within that group oh absolutely i could not agree more so then i thought it would be good to move on to just unpacking some like narratives around this overturning of roe versus wade one i think that's really important is that a lot of the responses rightly so talking about the way that people who might have been raped or abused or a victim of incest will be impacted by not being able to access an abortion is of course incredibly important it is absolutely utterly inhumane that people would have to carry a baby to term if they didn't want to as a result of something like that that is absolutely important Mm. however it is also just as important that women regardless of what has led you to being impregnated or people regardless of what's led to being you to being impregnated have the right to choose what happens with their body Mm. and i think like you know we see like i i get it like there's people sharing either personal stories or like posts or whatever that are like what about people who have been raped what about victims of incest yes what about them exactly but it's like let's not also then create a hierarchy of, mm-hmm. of rights or who deserves rights. It's basically making it like it's not the people in the situation who get to exercise their rights. It's other people stipulating conditions in which those rights are possible to be exercised and considered as valid. Yeah, I think a, um, a way to analogise this, and again, me with my comparisons a little bit apples and oranges but I hope this helps to sort of paint the picture it's like when people say when they're talking about women's rights for instance um or rape culture and to try to drive the message home let's say to um to anybody who is a bit dubious or um Mm. skeptical about women's accounts of sexual assault and -hmm. often people to counter that will say well imagine if it was your mother imagine Mm -hmm. if it was your sister 
And although that can be helpful to help, um, helpful to help drive that <laughs> empathy, you know, to try to connect that person to the pain of, mm-hmm. of what that woman would be going through, it is ultimately quite unhelpful when we're, when we're having a greater conversation around just human rights. Mm. And it shouldn't actually matter who a woman or rather how a woman is related to anybody. Sexual violence against anyone is wrong. Mm-hmm. It doesn't yeah. matter who they are and it doesn't matter um, your degree of closeness mm-hmm. or separation to that person. It's actually that anybody of any gender, of any age, from anywhere in the world has had their right to their safety to their bodily agency stampled upon in Mm. the context of sexual assault totally and it's like it's like you shouldn't only be able to extend empathy towards people that you have proximity to precisely familial or social proximity to yeah that's like as you say it's often what's kind of evoked to get people to care yeah um and, and i like, get you know, it yeah, i get it it. And it can be effective and it is and i'm not and i'm not i'm certainly not trying to say at all that we shouldn't be like really talking a lot about people who are needing abortions because of rape or incest like we should of course be talking about that i just Absolutely. think that it shouldn't be um i think i guess what i'm saying is like a lot of the discussion about abortion rights and what type of abortion like you know deserves a moral licensing to what type of situation deserves moral licensing to get an abortion? Yeah. Um, it kind of like effect- effectively situates people with uteruses as not inherently deserving of bodily autonomy, which yet yeah, creates this hierarchy and that's not rights. That is conditional. It's control really. Yeah. Yeah. And so like there's other kind of narratives as well that totally forget the role of like privilege or systems of oppression and equality. And some of those being, can't they just travel to other states which like forgets the things that we've been talking around like money access time of work stigma so on and also i I mean i don't actually know the ins and outs of this but i can imagine that if it's illegal in a one state and you're found to be planning to go to another state like do you get absolutely punished for that yeah so many states um will with overturning of roe versus wade criminalize traveling to obtain an abortion aiding people mm-hmm. who will get an abortion so that might be me driving somebody like a friend of mine to get an abortion i will be um charged <laughs> mm-hmm. um or you know they've even criminalized like searching for information mm-hmm. on how to get an abortion um mm-hmm. you know that might be via a hotline or the internet obviously um it's going to be a lot harder to um, enforce a lot of those. But I can definitely imagine, um, you know, it would be less difficult to to enforce something like travelling to an, uh, obtain an abortion. And you totally. might imagine um, two friends travelling um, or maybe, you know, a person and their partner travelling interstate and being stopped on a highway yep. and asked, what, where are you going and why are you going there? And... That, that's just truly fucked. There's apparently um, something else I've read is that there's people who have been put on watch lists because they're like active in the pro-choice movement or because they're considered um, either likely to help people get an abortion or likely to seek an abortion themselves. Wow. There's also, I don't know, you've probably seen this as well, but how like, you know, for example, I have the app Flow because I have yeah. really bad period pain. So I track my periods so that I know when to expect the pain so that I can not go out that day or whatever. And um, apparently courts can use the data from those apps. So like just say I was found, I was in, I was an American citizen and I was found to be trying to access an abortion and then they charge me and I am in court, my app can be drawn upon. And if I've entered that my period was missed or late or whatever, they can be like, look, see, that makes it likely that you were accessing, trying to access an abortion or searching for information for an abortion. So there's been like a widespread call for people in um, anti-abortion states to delete those apps like wow. immediately. Wow. And uh, there's also been like, there's been, you know, already people using code words to discuss abortion um, and people from like pro-choice states. Some people are trying to, I guess, send the message to people in other states that if they want to stay with them to access an abortion, that they can. I I wanted to, um, yeah, jump in with another narrative to unpack or Mm -hmm. to counter, which is 
well, it's slightly different to yours, Maris, but a clarification or something to remember around abortions as well is that banning abortion doesn't stop abortion. Mm. Um, so women, yeah. people with uteruses have been getting around laws for a really long time um, to have abortions. And what, what the overturning of Roe vs Wade does is just restrict people's access to a safe abortion. Mm -hmm. When people need to have an abortion, you know, they will go to great, sometimes um, depending how desperate you are, turn to unsafe measures. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's just something, uh, you know, I mean, obviously, there, you know, the other side of that is, of course, there will be a lot more forced births. Um, mm -hmm. There will be a lot more forced mm -hmm. parenthood. Yeah. But yes, there'll be also people who will do things to access that abortion that will be really dangerous. And not, yeah, not within their, their human right to, to safe healthcare. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'd want to jump in with yeah. that. And one more that I want to mention is like how people go, oh my God, this one makes me so mad. Won't it just make people be more careful? Like, you know, people just have to take a little bit more. I mean, oh my God, let's not get into the um, women can control sperm flow. Like that. Their, okay. their buddy, buddy can shut that whole thing down. Oh, oh, it's disgusting. Yeah. Okay, that's like a later conversation. But literally, I've heard people this week in Australia say, but won't people just be more careful and like use contraception? And I'm like, do you completely forget? Um, I saw a good meme. It said like, for those who are saying, like, won't it just make people like start saying no? And it was like, these people are forgetting <laughs> what men do to women when they say no. Yeah, I saw that. And I'm too. like, fucking exactly. Like, let's not forget how common, commonly women don't even, aren't even consenting necessarily to sex, let mm. alone sex without a condom or like, you know, men that uh, say they're putting a condom on and don't. Mm, yeah, stealthing. Stealthing would it, be... Exactly, it's a whole thing. Yeah, it would be a big part of that, surely. Um, yeah, absolutely. And it's also forgetting, or it's, it's actually, it's not forgetting, it's ignoring that so many women, like as we've talked about in this podcast before, the, the biggest cohort of women experiencing sexual violence in Australia are women in abusive relationships with men who use sexual violence as a part of controlling her. Don't forget as well, there are men that want women to be more controlled within that context of an abusive relationship to the point that they would like for her to be... Pregnant and anchored. Pregnant and anchored by ch one child, multiple children, whatever. Um, women are more vulnerable when pregnant. Domestic violence spikes when someone becomes pregnant. Because he no longer, he knows she's even more bound to him. He doesn't have to be mm. as careful that she might, you know, decide to leave him. So he's, he'll become more complacent and his behaviour will become more abusive. So, like, I just feel like, you know, men are just left out of this discussion. Mm. The impact that men have on women's ability to control when sperm is coming into their body and when it's not, like, it's... It's constant. It's happening all the time. And, and, I, and I just, you know, yeah, I don't know. I just, I don't even have anything kind of smart to say about it. I just fucking makes me so mad. Mm. So the next point that I wanted to make is this isn't about loving babies. It's about controlling. It's about controlling women and people with uteruses. If this was about loving babies, government in the United States would have far more interest in creating policies and legislation that support children and support parents and particularly those who are disadvantaged by lack of positive child supporting policies and legislation mm. that like there's just such a dearth of in the United States. And in relation to this, for just a second, let's just talk about gun laws. I feel like I feel like with the state of what is happening in America regarding the legislation of banning abortion, I feel like that can't be talked about without also looking at the state of legislation and laws pertaining to gun ownership the contrast of what's going on with with guns it's just it's really mind-boggling and i'll tell you why so firstly it's easier to get a gun than an abortion in america no surprises in it, there's less stigma to buy a gun than to get an abortion and in fact i'll go out on a limb and say 
I think <laughs> that within like the views of conservatives and Republicans, there is less stigma on school shooters than there are on people accessing abortion. Wow. Yeah. I would say that. I don't know. Controversial perhaps, but I, I, don't, I see less admonishing of people who, is taking, who, who are taking guns to school and shooting fucking classmates than I do on women or other people accessing abortion. It's almost like there's been more done. And again, someone could correct me on this, but I'll go out on a limb as well. It's like there has been more affirmative action to stop abortions than to stop school shootings. That is the, literally my point. So every day, sorry, I don't know if it's every day, but as in on an average daily, 12 children die from gun violence in America and a further 32 are shot and injured. Now, this, of course, isn't all from massacres within schools. It's because guns are just so readily available that children come across them or upon them um, more easily and there's accidents. But it's also it's also because of school shootings and other and just gun violence. Right. So that's also I should say that is from the New England Journal of Medicine, also from the Center for Disease Control in the U.S., Guns are the leading cause of death among children and teens in America. Which is an unbelievably tragic, awful, preventable stat. One out of 10 gun deaths are age 19 or younger. So one out of 10 people being shot in America, and like, cause like there's tons of adults killed via homicide in America and also gun accidents and all that. But one out of 10 up children and teenagers like oh my god mm. so the very people who were apparently worried about fetuses being murdered via terminations are the same people who refuse to ban guns or legislate tighter restrictions on gun ownership it just makes my blood boil so like okay get this for an example just a few days after that recent uvalde i think uvalde. it's called uvalde massacre so uvalde being the place um, at which the gunman, 18-year-old gunman, killed 19 primary school students and two teachers. Republican officials attended and spoke at the annual NRA convention, literally just a couple of days later. Among them, of course, was the likes of Donald Trump and Senator of Texas Ted Cruz. The senator of the state that has the second highest number of school shootings of all US states, Texas, which has had 135 school shootings since the 70s. Whoa. The senator of that state, days after, oh, makes me like, <sighs> days after the second most deadliest school shooting in the state's history, attended the NRA annual conven convention. Like, what the fuck? And I just want to read and like a little passage out of a Vox article that I was reading discussing Cruz's participation in this pro-gun event. So the rate, this is what he said, the rate of gun ownership hasn't changed and yet acts of evil like we saw this week are on the rise, Texas Senator Ted Cruz told crowds at the National Rifle Association's convention in Houston this week. Cruz's claim about stagnant gun ownership, which is factually misleading, is among the trove of inaccurate claims made by Republican officials at the NRA's annual gathering this year making clear that the string of mass shootings in recent weeks has not influenced their pro-gun convictions. So in that excerpt, Ted Cruz plays down the role of lax gun laws in the mass shooting epidemic in his state, which is also a lie. And I'm going to read another passage from an article in the Texas Tribune, which says, while University of Texas polls consistently show that Texans are divided about gun control, with 40 to 50% saying they want stricter gun laws, the vast majority of laws passed over the last 13 years by the state's Republican-controlled legislature have expanded where guns are allowed, who can have a firearm in schools, and the right to openly carry guns. So, Cruz, the senator of that state, and this is me now, not the article, <laughs> is facilitating easier access to gun ownership and more relaxed rules surrounding carrying firearms in full knowledge of the impact. He is 100% smart enough to know that this is resulting in more children being murdered by young men or young male peers. Yet he will then vehemently argue against people accessing abortions because it kills babies. Boom. It's, you, you know, I'm really glad that you brought up gun gun control laws here because on the face of it you may not immediately connect these two issues mm. but it just flies in the face of the lie mm -hmm. that uh, that stopping abortions is about the sanctity of life mm -hmm. 
that is just such utter bullshit when you consider even half of what you just said mm-hmm. about gun laws. There are children dying. I mean, what we just saw with Uvalde, and they're still not going to do anything. Mm-mm. You don't give a fuck about kids. You don't give a fuck about, like, the sanctity of life. I mean, obviously, let me just caveat mm. that. It's like, wh- whose kids? Which kids? Mm, exactly. But genu- exactly gen- right. generally as well, if you don't mind, and it's almost like, God, it's it's so morbid. I, like, can't bear to even think about it. But if you're kind of okay as a legislator with with the death rate, like, oh, mm. oh, only this many children um, mm. are dying by, you know, cause of death guns. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's a, like I said, this is a morbid connection, but it just shows, like, these politicians are fucking full of shit. And that's exactly right. And it's not about, yeah, the sanctity mm. of life. It's not about those babies having a good chance because, man, some of the, <laughs> like, yeah, kids are dying of totally preventable, um, yeah, yeah, leading cause of death. It's, yeah, the whole thing. Sorry, I'm not being very no, articulate no, no. right now, but um, I'm really glad that you brought this up. And, and, and that's the reason I bring it up is because these are, this is the same people. It is, Ted Cruz is just one of fucking many. many. Sorry, I'm swearing so much in this episode. Me everyone. too. But Sorry, like, everyone. So he is just one of many, but like that is, this is literally the exact same people that are doing nothing about children being murdered at school that are going to criminalizing abortion and overturning constitutional rights all off the narrative that it's because they don't want pregnant people to murder babies. Mm. Oh my God. It's the, the, the gaslighting of the populace is just so extreme thick in the air. And can I, can I add one more just, story to drive this fact home as well Mm. so there are women in the u.s who are being convicted of manslaughter for having miscarriages so i'm going to tell a quick story here about um, a native american woman from oklahoma her name is Brittany pulor and what i learned about Brittany is that four months into her pregnancy she lost her baby in a hospital. This is in 2020. She was then convicted and sentenced to four years in prison for first-degree manslaughter of her unborn son. Now, in this case, in this case, Brittany had been using illicit drugs during her pregnancy, so that's how they classed it. Mm. But that is just, like, you no. are jailing women who had miscarriages, which they absolutely did not plan. And Brittany needed support, not Mm -hmm. conviction. Yet these same legislators may have let Brittany's son go to school and be shot and done nothing about it. Precisely. So what the fuck? Okay, so another point I just wanted to make is that progress is not linear. And we are seeing that now and I think that this is a really important thing to remember and to remind others of when when we hear this narrative of but but women but women have rights and like there is gender equality like Mm. which I mean is just objectively not true but people try and say this and it's like often relating to like well women have you know women can get jobs now women get the vote and women go to get educated whatever and you don't have to wear a burqa yeah gay people can get married now like you know there's all this stuff where people are like Look, 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 yeah, we, we let you guys all do this stuff. <laughs> mm, that, we have, that we've had for fucking centuries. <laughs> exactly. So a lot of people use this to act as though everything's always getting better and therefore, like, what are we complaining about? And I just wanted to make that point that this is a perfect example of how, firstly, feminism, um, gender equality is absolutely not achieved and we have tons of fucking work to do. And likewise for people in LGBTQ communities and basically anyone that is marginalised by different laws and beliefs and whatever, any progress that is made, we have to continue to defend it um, and fight for it. Mm. And that's bloody exhausting. And yeah, I just think, I'm going to cry again. Uh, I just think that, you know, to, to use this, to use what's happened in this week as an example of 
the precarious nature of the quote unquote rights that we have and how oppressive people and you know at the tops of the power hierarchies are continuously working to attack progress that's that's been made or um yeah to maintain that marginalization Mm. and the last point that i wanted to make is men are not outraged enough about this men any men who have had sex with people with uteruses and not wanted them to get pregnant have benefited from contraception and many have benefited from abortion Mm, word the amount of women or people with uteruses that have had abortions equally correlates with a cis man or someone who was born with biological male sex organs ejaculating and wanting them to get an abortion. There are tons of men out there wanting people to get an abortion. They don't want to have a baby yet. They don't want to be responsible, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. Yet not many men, certainly very few that I know personally, and I mean there's activists and there's some celebrities that are speaking out about it and stuff, but like the vast majority of stuff that I'm seeing on social media is created by women, written by women. And I'm just like, not many men are out there going on about how abortion has saved their life or had some huge impact on them. But it has. Too many men aren't making this connection privately or publicly, but certainly not publicly. And unfortunately, a lot of men don't actually give a shit because they don't feel like it's directly it's directly impacting them. Because like at the end of the day, the people that carry the baby are 99 times out of 100 the one that ultimately is lumped with the responsibility of like getting like you know actually finding the abortion paying for the abortion or having the child carrying the child and there are you know everybody knows stories where women have had babies on their own because the man wasn't interested or he left men have far more options to get out of the situation Mm. than what women do Mm -hmm. so unfortunately they just don't see it as actually affecting them that much and and like you know for your average average joe it's so true i know um plenty of guys who've benefited from um of course a contraception like you said maris and um and abortions and i know in fact some guys who have sex with women who had the women they were having sex with not been able to access abortion this is different women Mm-hmm. They would have four children mm-hmm. before they were fucking 28. Mm-hmm. And this is, mm-hmm. I think a lot of men um, don't feel a part of this battle because it because I think there's two ways to go about it. A lot of guys just don't see feminist issues as their issues, period. Secondly, I think it it points to the success of the pro-life movement and the, like the anti-feminist uh, flavor of this mm-hmm. whole movement mm-hmm. to eradicate choice is that it is so patriarchal and so misogynist that it has framed the whole mm. thing as a women's issue. Mm-hmm. It has fra- where the fuck it's like it's like looking for where's Wally. Where <laughs> where I don't see the word men anywhere and we are talking about something that literally cannot happen without sperm. So seriously. That, that is how, how successfully anti-feminist, pr- uh, rather anti-choice movement is framed as a women's issue. Yep. And people who can produce sperm and you're having sex with people who can get pregnant, like, where are you? Because, I mean, look, I know that there would be, a, there are a lot of allies. I, d- I don't want to, I don't want to, di- you know, like, fuck yeah, power to you, please keep going. But yeah, <laughs> not the dudes in my life, soz. No. I just kind of threw you all under the bus. But like, I, you know, we both get with men and mm. I'm not hearing a lot of that. And yet they're the ones to fucking benefit. I wonder, this is controversial, I'm just going to say it, but if, you know, we know men's rights activists, one of their sort of pillars is um, against women is that women are only having babies to get child support out of them. Oh, fucking hell. If they framed this issue as like, I'm like, when is a men's rights activist leader, um, overlord, going to start saying, <laughs> if they take away the rights to abortion, mm. all of you men are going to have to pay child support. We, like, it's actually fucking 
totally do something good for once or you men's rights activists and yeah, say like, I like that to your fucking started, followers I wonder if you started saying this may impact on you blokes mm. because you're going to be paying lifetimes of um, child support I wonder whether then their ears would perk up caveat in theory paying lifetimes of child support a lot of the women that I support oh. their partners do not pay child support so true thank you everybody for listening to this this episode because it's definitely be one of our um i mean a lot of our episodes are have heavy content for sure but this has definitely been a big one and we hope you are taking care of yourself as we said before the episode began um i also want to share you know just on a touch of positivity you know back over in the u.s um like i said at the beginning of this episode um Abortion is still protected in some states, so um, it's likely to remain in 20 states and the District of Columbia. Mm -hmm. And some states have also strengthened their capacity to become abortion mm. safe havens. And um, the other amazing thing, and I always think about this when I, when I think about how fucked things are in the US, the other side of that coin is that there are just so many friggin' amazing activists and organizers in that mm. in that country um, mm. who are resisting this this oppression only 34 percent of the u.s population by the way is supportive of mm. the overturning of roe vs wade so there's going to be a lot of pro-choice activism and organizing around getting um people access to abortions and i thought i'd just share and we'll um also link in our show notes um there's an organization in the u.s called the national network of abortion funds mm. that is abortion funds with an s dot org um and yeah that's basically a network that <coughs> is um you know about connecting people with funds that will remove the financial and logistical barriers of getting an mm. abortion so you can make a donation there um and support funds where you can that help people to yep. to access an abortion. Thank you, everybody. Um, this is also definitely, you know, sparked my interest in what's going on in Australia. So, um, you know, we may do another episode around, um, yeah, people who provide abortions in Australia. Um, and I, I think this is a really, a really important rights conversation. Um, it's definitely inspired me to go deeper. And... Mm. Um, Thank you for thank you for listening. We hope we hope you learnt something, um, or maybe some of our rage rubbed off on you. Um, but if you'd like to, um, you know, continue the conversation a little bit more, you can follow us at Sex and Consent, all one word, on Instagram, and sus subscribe as well to the Sex and Consent podcast wherever you get them, wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> that is okay. Thanks so much, everybody. We will see you next time. Back to our regular scheduling of the storytelling mini series. We will see you then. Bye bye. Bye.